Let's pray for the Word tonight. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I pray, Lord, You teach us tonight by Your Spirit. I pray You show us things. Lord, we understand that knowing in our head is really not enough. We ask You for a spirit of revelation. We ask You for understanding here tonight that that You would speak to us and show us what it is You would have us to know. Lord, I thank You that, that You really, really want to guide us and lead us into a place. And so we want to follow you this evening. We make the decision tonight that we will follow you. We will obey you. We'll do what you tell us to do. Lord God, we thank you. We honor you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me. I'm going to start tonight in Genesis chapter 1. And then I'm going to preach through the whole Bible. No, I'm not. I'm not. But I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. Here's what the scripture says. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. And replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth. Now I want you to think with me for just a minute tonight about Adam and Eve. What did they do every day? Well, I mean, God watered it. There were no weeds. I mean, it might have. It might have. I mean, they didn't have to pull weeds. I mean, it sounds to me like it's a pretty cushy job. I mean, you know, I'm, and, and I'm, just, I'm just thinking, maybe they just sat around and, you know, laid back and ate grapes all day. You know, maybe one of the, maybe they trained a chimpanzee to bring them and drop them in their mouth. I, I don't know. What, what, were, what were they doing all day? The word Eden means paradise. These two people lived in paradise. Now, obviously, they hadn't had kids yet, but it was, still, it was still paradise. They lived in paradise, Adam and Eve. Now, here's the interesting thought. God is talking to them. They live in this garden. They, there are no weeds. They don't have to water. Everything's growing. And then God tells them, it says, And God blessed them, said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth. What in the world is that? What, what, what does that mean? replenish the earth. The word replenish means to fill or it means to complete. In other words, God had more to do in the earth than he had done and he wanted man to do it. He wanted them to complete the job. The scripture talks about and gives us the the dimensions of the Garden of Eden and the borders around it. It did not cover the whole planet. But God intended for them to finish the work. His his job wasn't complete. He wanted Adam and Eve to expand his kingdom to the whole earth. That was their initial job. He wanted them to expand the garden. He wanted it to grow. He wanted his kingdom in the earth to grow. Because he gave the earth to man. I'll read you a verse of scripture in a minute. But he, he, he gave the earth to man. You see, when God rested on the seventh day... It wasn't because he was tired. It's because he was finished with his part. 
He was finished with creation, and he intended for man to do something. Now, not only did he have to, was he to replenish the earth, it says he was, it was, he was to subdue it. What does subdue mean? Sub, subdue means to conquer, to bring to subjection. So here's this man that I'm thinking for a long time just sat around eating grapes, but God's given him a job to do. His job is to make this garden grow and cover the earth. His job is to conquer the earth because, because there was a part of the creation that's not yet in subjection to God. And so man's job is to make it grow and conquer it. And God gave him two things to do the job with. Two things is all you need. Authority and seed. With those two things, God expected Adam and Eve to cover the earth with his kingdom. Gave them dominion, which is authority, and the seed. And they were going to cover the earth. So that's what he's supposed to do. Chapter 2, verse 15. See, you're already having to think right, up, right at the very beginning. God gave them a job to do. Verse 15 of chapter 2, it says, And the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So now what does that mean? This is more of that assignment. The word dress, when it says dress it, it means to work it, to make it produce, or make it grow. Adam's job was to make it grow. He had the authority and he had the seed to make it grow. And God expected Adam to do that job, to make it grow. And then it says to keep it. The word keep means to guard or to protect. Adam and Lee, Eve lived in paradise, but God said, I want you to guard it. Guard it from what? What this means is there had to be enemies, and God knew there were enemies, and He was warning Adam and Eve at the very beginning there was an enemy. We know from Scripture that Satan was cast out of heaven into the earth, or Lucifer was, and he became Satan. He was cast out into the earth. God was warning Adam and Eve that there was an enemy and He intended for them to protect that garden and make it grow in spite of the fact that there was an enemy. He wasn't saying, now Adam, you and Eve, y'all hide here in the garden and I'll take care of it. He didn't say that to them. He said, I want you to guard it. I want you to make it grow. See, we have this idea sometimes that if God tells us to do something, then he gets to do it. No, if he tells you to do something, you get to do it. Now, he empowers, he, he provides everything that's necessary, but it's up to us to do what he told us to do. He told them that there was an enemy and he intended for them to fight if they had to fight. All right? how, was, how was he supposed to fight this enemy? Authority and seed. God gave him everything he needed in the beginning to, t to conquer the earth, to do everything that he was supposed to do. We understand, just let's put it in New Testament principles, authority. We have the name of Jesus. We have authority in the name of Jesus. We have the seed. Jesus said the sower sows the seed. The seed was the Word of God. We have the name of Jesus. We have the Word of God. And we have the ability with, with those two things, with His power, to expand His kingdom in the earth. I love this message right there. We have a job to do. Just because we reach a certain age doesn't mean we get to quit doing anything. We still have authority and we still have seed. 
Now, it sounds like here that there might be a fight that they had to fight, that they were supposed to fight. They were supposed to fight the fight of faith, and the Lord was trying to prepare them to do that. He intended for them to do that because He intended for them to represent the kingdom of God in the earth. The Scripture says this in Psalm 8, verse 6. This is speaking of man. Thou madest him man to have dominion over the works of thy hands and has put all things under his feet. God put man on this planet to be in charge. But what did man do? Man abdicated that in the garden when he partook of the fruit and gave it because the devil told him that if he had just eat it, he lied to him. So man gave everything to Satan. Now Satan is the God of this world according to Scripture. Right? A lot of people have this idea that everything that happens in the world is God's will. It can't be God's will because if it's God's will, He's a mean God. If everything that happens is the will of God, I mean, he's, He doesn't will for people to be raped and murdered. He doesn't will for, for dictators to, to ruthlessly rule people. That's not the will of God. So everything that happens is not the will of God, but God intends for man, in the very beginning, intended for man to fight the fight of faith in the beginning to defeat the devil in the garden today to defeat the devil wherever he may be to expand and enlarge the garden, enlarge the kingdom. God intends for us to enlarge his kingdom. That's what he wants us to do. That's why we're here. That's why we're listening to what I'm teaching. That's what we're supposed to be doing, enlarging the garden. You've got to understand, you are not a victim. You're a victor and God intends for you to take ground from the enemy. Our job is to plunder hell so we can populate heaven. We have a job to do here. This is our master verse for these past several weeks. Fight the good fight of faith. That's what they should have done in the Garden of Eden. It's still the fight. Fight the good fight of faith. It's a faith fight. It's not a knowledge fight. It's not a fist fight. It's not an answer fight. It's a faith fight. Where does faith come from? By hearing and hearing the Word of God. We have a fight to fight, but it's a faith fight. Fight, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. That's 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. There's still a fight to fight. It's still ours to fight. We, we still have it to do. We've seen that the fight is about truth. The fight is about light. And the Bible makes those the same thing. The devil, we've seen, is trying to control the conversation, control words in order to darken and blind the minds of mankind. He wants people to be blinded in their minds. Doesn't want them to see the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Doesn't want them to see the light of the word of God. We know this. We must not allow the enemy to deceive us as he's deceived even countless of others. Our job is to maintain vigilance so that the devil can't devour us. So in order to do that, we must be people of the word. Must be. It's not enough to believe that the Bible is God's Word. This is not enough. You need to know the Word of God. You've got to know how to handle the sword. You've got to be able to use it. It's important to know what God said, to rightly divide it, so you can use the sword of the Spirit with great skill. 
And that's what I do. That's why I try to teach these things so that we can become people of the Word so we'll know what to do. So when we use words, we can use the Word of God and it will effectively defeat what the enemy is trying to do. And it will help us keep our mind clean and clear so that we can do the will of God, so that we can expand this kingdom of God. We have been warned to fight. We're going to read the scripture in just a minute, and it calls it our warfare. We have been warned to fight. God wants us to fight. There's an enemy. We must be prepared to fight the fight of faith. I'm not saying this to scare anybody. I'm saying to prepare you for all the victories that are ahead of you. Okay, if we understand what we're supposed to do. Churches avoid the subject these days of fighting the fight of faith. You remember when we were kids and we were in Sunday school and we sang that I'm in the Lord's army marching in the artillery, marching in the whatever, flying over the enemy. There we go. There we go. See, she still sings the song. She still knows what it is. When we, got, when we were kids, we understood that we were soldiers. We used to sing that hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers. We, had, we, we understood that this was not... This was not the country club where God was our butler. But church has become more of that where it's about my needs and what I want rather than about the king and how can I serve him. Okay, you don't hear that very much in church anymore. Because they avoid the subject of the fight because they don't want to fear, they don't want to offend anyone of those people whose minds may already be darkened and their consciences may already be seared. Because they've never taught them how to take a stand and how to fight for what the Bible says we should be fighting for. We've got to be prepared. Otherwise, we're going to give away what is most precious to those that are, quote, woke. And those that want to cancel what we believe and what we stand for. And they're doing everything they can to do that against us. The Bible teaches us. If we'll read it, if we'll learn it, the Bible teaches us how the enemy attacks. And we've been talking about that. He'll teach us how we're to arm ourselves and be prepared. From the scripture, we should be forewarned and forearmed and prepared to fight the fight. Every one of us should be. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we've read this several weeks in a row. Verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Understanding tonight that to scream, to climb up on the highest mountain and scream at the devil is flesh. Yes. Wow. Yes. It's just flesh. You don't have to scream at the devil. I can't read in the scripture where Jesus screamed at him. He told him what to do. It wasn't emotional, because emotion is flesh. This is a spiritual fight of faith. I don't mind if you get emotional, it's fine with me. As long as you have the faith to back it up, it works. We understand it's a fight of faith. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Our weapons are not, are not carnal, they're not fleshy, they're not, they're not physical but they're mighty. They're very real, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And then it said, this, and these are the strongholds. It lists them for us. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And I've heard people say it. How can anybody bring every thought to the obedience of Christ? 
I don't know exactly, except that the Bible says we're supposed to. That means it should be a priority in our lives to capture these thoughts and bring them to the obedience of Christ. We've seen this is the fight. The devil has, has captured people's minds. Every war is fought over people whose minds are captured. And then they, in turn, capture, as the, as the puppet of the enemy, capture the minds of other people. And Adolf Hitler was the master of it. His mind was darkened, and he could communicate a dark vision, and people's minds became darkened. And so he fought a war. That's what's happening in the world. The, the, even in our nation, people whose minds have been darkened are communicating and others are allowing that to seep into their heart. And the voice of truth is not being spoken loud enough. Why? Because as Christians, we've been taught to be nice. We need to be nice to people, but we don't need to be nice to the devil. And we do need to say what God said. We have real weapons. The devil has been engaging men in thought warfare for thousands of years. For millennia, he's been deceiving people. That's his job, and he's very good at it. Yet Jesus said, be not deceived. We need, to, we, need to, we need to fight this fight of faith. The Bible says that we are to know the devil's devices. We need to learn how to think right, have our minds renewed, thinking right, so that we can prevail as we take a stand of faith. So tonight, we're going to talk about war, but I'm going to... I'm going to kind of do a prequel to everything that I've said so far. Would that be good? Because the thing is, we have to fight. We have to understand who we're fighting and what we're fighting. But we also have to know some things about, about how we're going to do this thing. So, let me read you this verse. We've read this before. This is Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. The scripture says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So he's talking here about spiritual warfare and armor. He begins this passage talking about spiritual warfare and armor. He begins with this word, finally. And I jokingly last week said, in conclusion, I told you my favorite part of my sermons are the conclusion. I like them so much that sometimes I put four or five of them in my sermon so that I can just keep doing the conclusion. But that's not, this, this word doesn't mean conclusion. It doesn't mean the end. The Greek word, it's a little phrase in Greek, it's toi loipon. Toi loipon, two Greek words. It doesn't mean conclusion or end. In fact, what this word is used for, it's used at the end of a letter, an article, a book, even a play, and it's used to present the most important idea in the letter, the book, the play, or whatever. It's saved to the very end because it's the very most important thing. What the Apostle Paul is saying is saying, now, I've said all that, but here's what I want you to hear the most about what I have to say. I, if you don't remember anything that I have to say so far, remember this. This is the most important thing. Toy Lopan. He, he say, he's saying this and everything in this letter to the Ephesians, this is the very most important thing that I have to say to you. 
Have you ever read the book of Ephesians? That baffles me just a little bit, does it you? He said, this is more important than anything I've said. Think about it. Ephesians chapter 1. You read that? It has the doctrine of election and predestination, the eternal work of the Holy Spirit, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Now, that all seems pretty important to me. He said, no, this is more important than that. In chapter 2, he talks about the work of grace. Man, that's pretty important too, right? Chapter 3, he describes the eternal purpose of the church. Chapter 4, he talks about the fivefold ministry. Chapter 5, he talks about husbands and wives and children and how we're to live. All of that stuff sounds very important. And he says in chapter 6, he says, If you can't remember anything else I've said, this is the most important thing I'm going to tell you, so don't forget this. That's, that's really something. He's talking. I'm thinking he knows something maybe we don't know yet. The reason he says that is because he has something very specific that's taking place in this church that makes it the most important. Down in verse 13, he says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Now, this little phrase, take unto you, is the Greek word analambano. Lambano means to take or receive. He says, take or receive it. But when you add this little prefix, ana, in front of it, it means to take or receive again. It made it a whole different meaning. He, said, he says, receive it like you earlier received it. He says, something that you once wore, but you're not wearing any longer. I need you to put this on again, is what he's saying to them. He's saying, this is the, you've got to hear what I'm telling you, folks. You need to receive it again. The church is no longer wearing the armor. It's no longer walking in the power of God. If you know the history of the, of the church at Ephesus, and it's, it, we find in Acts chapter 19, in Ephesus the Apostle Paul gets off the boat. He meets 12 guys and he asks them, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you were saved? And they said, We never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Paul said, What, what were you baptized in? They said we were baptized in, what was it, in, in Apollos or whatever it was they, they told him. He leads them to the Lord, leads them into the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And these guys, they took it. Paul then began to disciple these 12 men. And all of a sudden, revival broke out in Ephesus. There were supernatural things happening everywhere in Ephesus. I mean, that's the chapter when it says that supernatural miracles happened at the hands of Paul. That's the chapter where it talks about that Paul would lay his hand on a napkin and they would take it and lay it on somebody that was demon-possessed and the demon would come out of people. I mean, this, this church was founded in a supernatural way. I mean, miracles happened all the time. All these wicked people got saved. They took all their, their, their curious arts and th threw them in the fire and burned them. Millions and millions of dollars worth, worth of uh, occult books and, 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 and tools. They threw them, burned them in the fire. The very same chapter talks about that the, that the sons of Sceva went out and, and they said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we adjure you to come out of him. And, and the demon says to them, and he says, Paul, I've heard about uh, Jesus I know, but you, who are you? And the Bible says he beat them up and they ran out naked and afraid. 
I mean, supernatural. Everything that happened in the birth of this church was supernatural. The power of God was everywhere. I'm telling you, those people were so filled with the Spirit. The power of God worked. Miracles happened. All kinds of things happened. This church was birthed in the supernatural. They had on the armor, and they were walking in power. Then we go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. This is probably... 50 years later? No, no, I'm sorry. Probably 20 years later? 20 short years later is, is, when, was, is when Revelation, when John wrote Revelation chapter 2. He said this, the Lord Jesus said, talking to the church at Ephesus, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now that's interesting. Birth in power. 20 years later, they've left their first love. Still having church. Still singing songs, maybe still dancing. There's no power. It's not there anymore. They lo- they lost their first. The word "left" when it says you left your first love, it means to not not just to walk away from it. It means that it slowly slipped through their fingers. It was pilfered from them. What was a priority in the beginning was no longer there. The great passion. The great power that they operated in had slipped away. In verse 10, the apostle says, put it on again. This is the most important thing I have to say to you. Put it on again. I mean, these people were educated. They didn't need a whole bunch more information. You know, a lot of people, they think the Bible... If you say, what's the Bible about? They'll say, well, the Bible is about how to get to heaven. No, it's not. I mean, that's part of what it's about. What the Bible is about is how to live in power and victory over the devil, over a godless society, on the way to heaven as we expand the kingdom of God. The epistles don't tell you how to get saved. They tell you how to live in power. They tell you to live for God how to move for God, how to win for God. You and I are, if, if it was only about going to heaven, when we took you to baptize you, we put you in the tank, we just hold you down longer. So you go ahead and go. If it's only about getting to heaven, we are wasting our time. It's about expanding His kingdom. It's about moving and operating in power. I mean, that's what God wants. They, He's saying you need to operate in power. They were well educated. It's, see, if you think about this, God mentions predestination in, only one time in chapter 1. That's the only time you find it from Paul in, this, in the book of, 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 of Ephesians. It seems to me like if, that if they didn't know anything about it, he'd have spent some time talking about it. In fact, I'm kind of wishing Paul would have put about four or five more chapters in that, in that letter so we could learn about predestination the way he, he probably taught it to them. They knew about predestination, or he would have talked more. He would have, or, he, or he would have taught them about it. They already understood that. They, 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 they were well, well educated. They were well taught. They knew things. This church was founded by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was one of the smartest Christians to ever walk on the planet. I mean, here, he was a guy that was educated by, by a, a rabbi named Gamaliel. Gamaliel was known throughout the earth. As, as the finest Jewish rabbi out there. I mean, he was taught 
I mean, the Apostle Paul was taught by Gamaliel. He was a smart, smart man. In fact, somebody said to him, Paul, you're crazy because you're just so smart. He was smart. He founded the church. Then that church was pastored by a young man named Timothy. Timothy was a close disciple of the Apostle Paul. I'm going to tell you, those people had great teaching in that church. They had fantastic teaching in the church. In fact, later on, Mary, the mother of Jesus, moved to Ephesus and was a member of that church. She's buried right outside the city there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to the church. After that, another guy that you may have heard of, his name was John the Apostle. After he got off of Patmos, came and pastored that church. These people were educated. They had great teachers. They knew a lot. They were filled with information. But they lost their armor. No longer walking in power. No longer walking in, in, in this powerful armor of God. See, I believe that that could be written to the church today. I believe that's where we are. It hadn't been very long since the charismatic renewal, has it? But in a very short period of time, the church has lost its, its passion and its power, its first love. I believe Jesus is saying, it's time to put it on again. It's time to take it up now. I mean, we, y'all know this, y'all been around a long time. We used to, in church services, there was, we were so excited about going to church, not to hear a sermon, but to see a miracle. Because it happened every week. We saw God move in supernatural ways all the time. I mean, there were, there were tongues and interpretations. There were, there were prophecies. There were people getting healed. I mean, things happened in church that, that, that we were just excited to go because we just, we're like, what is going to happen today? I mean, who is, who, is go, who is getting healed? I wasn't as excited about people falling under the power because when they fell under the power, if they didn't change when they got up, it didn't matter. I'm talking about miracles we watched legs grow out. We watched, we watched people get healed of all kinds of things. We saw growth on people's bodies totally disappear. I mean, there was power in the church service. Power. And over time, in, in, a, in a short period of time, we got dignified. We're very dignified now. Because now, I mean, we dress as nice as the Episcopalians do. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're just that dignified. We've lost something. And I believe the Holy Spirit is saying, put it on again. Put it on again. Man, we used to, and I get it, today they have to get them in and get them out so they can have the next service, get all the people in. We need power. We need power. Can I tell you something about these weapons? They will not operate without power. Not going to happen. Not about how much we know. We're going to have to, there has to be power. We must operate in power. Back to verse 10. It says, Be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Be strong. Put on the armor. Paul understands what he's talking about. He's, he's spent most of his time as a preacher in jail. Strapped between Roman soldiers. He knew a lot about armor. He, he, he saw it firsthand. He's in jail. He's looking. He sees the sword. He sees the shield. 
Paul didn't waste time in jail feeling sorry for himself. He spent time in jail thinking, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to learn here? What do you want to tell me? What revelation do I need to get here? See, we need to be the same way. When we're going through a hard time, we don't need to be saying, well, this is just too hard. I just can't do this. No, no. We need to be saying, okay, Lord, what do I need to hear from you here? Other than don't come back to this spot. What do I need to hear from you? What do you want to say to me? So Paul, he began to look. He saw the soldiers. He saw the weaponry. He began to get a revelation from the Holy Spirit that there are spiritual weapons spiritual things that need to happen. He saw that. We need to, take, we need to figure this out. He saw the helmet. He saw the shield. He saw the belt. And, and, and I mean, this revelation continued to grow in him. Continued to grow in him. Just a revelation. If you've ever read First Thessalonians, that's the first epistle Paul ever wrote. It speaks a little bit about the armor. By the time you get to Ephesians, he talks a lot about the armor because this was a growing revelation in his heart. He knew it was important. We understand that every Roman soldier wore six items of weaponry. The Apostle Paul knew that. That's why he put that in that letter. Six items. He'd been in jail so long he knew exactly what they were, what they were for. The Roman soldier had these six items of weaponry. Altogether, that weaponry weighed 40 kilos. Let me tell you what that means in pounds. 88.1 pounds. The Roman soldier put on 88 pounds of stuff to fight. They had to be agile. They had to know how to move. They had to know how to fight. They had to to do all those things with 88 pounds of stuff. In other words, you had to have some strength to put on the armor. Isn't that interesting? Paul here is talking about, he's talking about a fight. He's talking about weapons, but he begins with power. He begins with strength. In order to operate the weaponry, you must have power. It's not enough just to put it on. You've got to be strong enough to walk around in it. I mean, it's easy to put it on if you're just sitting in the couch. But you got to, if you're going to use it, you have to get up. You have to have strength. You have to have power. And then it says, be strong. The word strong is the Greek word in duo, and you've heard that, I'm sure. But the word en is the, means in, I-N, it's E-N in Greek. It means to put it into something, like putting water into a vase. Duo comes from the word dunamis. It means raw power. We get the word dynamite from this. Dunamis is miracle power. It's not a free-floating power that's just in the atmosphere. It must be placed into something to be operational. Guess what? God created us as the perfect receptacles for this power. He intended for it to go into man where the place he wants to put the power. The word is used, this word in duo is used in classical Greek language. Most specifically, most Greek people know it as the word when it talked about Hercules. He had supernatural power within. We have Herculean supernatural power on the inside of us that's made so that we can take up this weaponry and we can fight the fight and enlarge the kingdom of God. The power is to be placed inside of us and it transforms us into something else. You never thought you were Hercules, did you? On the inside of you is power. Power. 
power. The word is used in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tear ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That's what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is. It's power so we can operate it. I mean, in Acts chapter 2, before they got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what were they doing? They were hiding, the Bible says, for fear of the Jews. They got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I mean, they, put all, they, they could pick stuff up. They walk out in the crowd, and they start preaching the gospel because now they're filled with power. I mean, it's all over them. They have the ability now to wield the sword and do the things they're supposed to do. They have power. Same word is used in Romans chapter 4 when it talks about Abraham. It says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in duo, strong in faith, giving glory to God. One, one other translation says, Abraham grew in faith. This power is something that should not have just come up on us one time, and that's it, and now we just get weak again. It should grow, it should grow, it should always grow. We should never come to the place where we're saying, well, we were stronger back then than we are now. We need to be stronger than we were. We need, we, need, we need to get away from that thing that says, well, we had more faith back then. No, no. We need to have the faith now to do it. See, the way it manifests may change, but I mean the power should be growing and growing and growing in us. Many years ago when my, our kids were small, we went to uh, Lake City, Colorado. I don't know if you've ever been there. There's a river that runs through there called the Gunnison River. But if you drive up in the mountains, you come up to these little streams. And they're, they're little forks of the Gunnison River. And so we went up there with our kids, and we were, we, were, uh, we, were having, we, didn't, we didn't have a lot of money in those days, and so we were trying to find something fun to do that didn't cost any money. So we go up to the river, and it's kind of like a, it's a little stream. It's not a river. It's a little stream up there. And we had the time of our lives. It was so refreshing. I mean, the water was cold. And we had the rocks, and we would build dams across the river, and, and we had so much. We went there, I think, four or five days in a row and spent the whole day out there. It was just so refreshing. It was so exciting. It was so refreshing. And then that little, that little fork, it comes into the, uh, into the Gunnison River, and then the Gunnison River feeds another river you may have heard of called the Colorado River. The Colorado River then feeds this thing called Hoover Dam that lights the city of Las Vegas. It, 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 it got all that power because it got all of these new infillings from tributaries like the Gunnison, like that little place we were up on the mountain. I mean, it, it just got stronger and stronger and stronger because of new infillings. And when you look at the Colorado River, when down there when it's outside of, of Las Vegas, it doesn't look like it's very much fun anymore. The creek is fun. It's exciting. I mean, it, it, it is fresh and fun. Ooh, it's so cool. But the currents in the Colorado River don't run along the top where you can see them. They run deep because they've had all those fillings. Our first encounters with the Holy Spirit have been fun, and they were exhilarating, weren't they? I mean, it was so much fun. But you can't swim in ankle-deep water. Christians need to receive many infillings of the Spirit. Many. It's time for a new 
in filling of the Spirit so that the power can run, so the power can do what it's supposed to do. It's good to see the young ones getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're in the creek and it's a lot of fun, but there needs to be this current that has a mighty force. I believe this. In this room, there are currents that if they will combine, there is a powerful force. Powerful force. Read the book of Acts. You find Acts chapter 2, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 3, there were miracles everywhere. Acts chapter 4, they got filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5, there were miracles everywhere. That's funny. They didn't wait years. They waited chapters. We need it. We need a new infilling of the Spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, he said, he was prophesying to these people, be not drunk with wine, but be filled, where, where in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Literally, it says, be being filled with the Spirit. He's not talking about a one-time exciting infusion of the Spirit. He's talking about a powerful current of the Spirit running in our lives that cannot, cannot be stopped by the devil. He's talking about a powerful force. He's, he's, he's equating it. This is kind of crude, but he, he's equating it to alcohol. He's talking about people going to the bar. He's saying, when people go to the bar, they can't stay drunk unless they drink more. He's saying, you can't stay filled unless you drink more, unless you get another, get another tributary to get something else. The Apostle Paul is saying, you need to be strong. You need to receive a new empowerment if you're going to operate this weaponry. The church needs another infilling. We've had great teaching. Man, we have had all kinds of, of good messages. What we need more than anything else is power. Power to operate these things. He said, be strong in the Lord. That little phrase, in the Lord, according to theologians, is in the locative case. I never heard of that until I read that some theologians. It's in the locative case. In other words, this empowerment is locked in the Lord. You can't get it unless you lock into Him. It's locked in Him. I mean, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says we're in Christ, uh, in Him, all those things. It says it five different times, and that is also in the locative case. If we get in Christ, then we can be in the Lord, and that's where the power is. The power is in Him. Tonight, we're in this room, and there's oxygen in this room, and so we all get to partake of the oxygen. When we're in Him, there's power in Him, and the Bible says we're in Him, and so there's power. We, we, can, we just breathe in the power. It's ours for the taking. It's not something we have to beg about, not something we have to um, fight over. It's something that is ours for the taking because it's there for us in Him. We should never have less power. We should always have it. I remember one time when I was, I guess I was in my early 30s or late 20s, I'm not sure. Um, Ryan was just a baby. I guess I was in my late 20s. He, I used to preach on the radio. I had this radio show, and it was a 15-minute daily radio show. And people heard me preach, and this lady um, that I knew heard me preach. And so her husband happened to be the pastor of a little Hispanic Assembly of God church. And so she said, my husband wants to know if you'll preach a revival in our church. 
well, I'd never preached a revival in my life, and so I was said, I didn't, I didn't have to pray. I just said, yeah, I'll preach a revival at your church. And so, because I felt like everyone needed to know about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I felt everybody needed to know that. And it was an Assembly of God church. I'm assuming they were already baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you can't assume that type of thing. And so, this is before I was ever a pastor of a church or anything. And so, I'm preaching at this little Assembly of God church. There might have been, what, 15 people there? I don't know. They were all there. It was more than I'd preached to before. Anyway, so in the end, I gave an invitation about being about receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit, thinking that they had already received it, and maybe one might have might come forward to get the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, when I said that, they all came forward, <laughs> which startled me a little bit because I'm thinking they should have already been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and so they're all they're all at the altar. They're crying. Oh man, they're going for it. And so I was going to pray for him because this, this is what I know. I know this. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. It's not, about, it's not about ritual. It's about believing and receiving, just like you got saved, receiving, believing, receiving it, and just having it when you believe you receive. Well, these people are crying. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And the preacher, the pastor says, let me pray for them. Okay, so he starts praying for him, and he's telling him, "Just hold on, brother. Just hold on. Just let go, sister. Just let go." And I mean, they're all kind. You know, I'm kind of confused. And this one lady was just crying. She was crying, and he said, "Oh, this one. She has been waiting to receive for years, trying to tell me how pious she was. I guess. Well, it just kind of made me mad." Because this power is in Him. All we do is receive it. It's a matter of faith. If we need a new infilling, it's a matter of, of receiving it. It's a matter of all of these rivers here getting another tributary and letting it run deep. We need another touch. We need another tributary. We need the power once again. We're called to be super Christians. The Bible says it in different ways throughout the New Testament. I don't have time to teach it tonight. But we can't even carry the armor and use it without the power. We have to have power to use it. We read this again. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Put it on again. Put it on again. We're told how the enemy operates, not to scare us, but to prepare us. We have the power. We're going to talk about those, those different ones next time. We have the power. Let's believe God for the power. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for power. Lord, we pray and we believe for the power. Lord, we want your power not for us, not for our kingdom, but for your kingdom. Lord, there's, there are some deep, powerful running streams in this room. We want your power to operate. The manifestation may not be like it was in the 70s. 
But God, you, you, you want the power to come so we can operate these weapons. I thank you that we are alive today in this time for this purpose. Lord, it seems like it's impossible to stand against this thing that is trying to take our nation. But we believe there's power that they can't even see yet. We believe you for it. We believe you tonight for new power. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're willing, you're wanting to come and do this thing. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.